Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we are discussing We Are Lady Parts and Bo Burnham's Inside. Two shows that are proving that, whether they're one man or punk, bands are back, baby. <laughs> Great. Hell yeah. Love that. Thank God. <laughs> um, how have you been this week, Jenny? What's been new? Uh, not a whole lot, as usual. I'm experiencing the joys and, and pains of slowly aging into late 20s. What do you mean? What do you mean? What happened? <laughs> Well, you know, back problems. I was, I think I was doing some kind of like stretches or like, you know, just exercises inside the home or whatever. And then just like, boom, one wrong move. I've been a little bit fucked up for the past four days, which is like not the very first time it's happened, but it really is a reminder of like, wow, this body, this like skin bag is... It is not long for this world. No, it will malfunction and it will decay very, very slowly. Yeah, man. I'm trying to remember the first time I hurt my back. I think it was, I think I was 26 years old when I first hurt my back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just been downhill from there, man. All right. Now, what, what about you, Pellin? How, how is it across the pond? Yeah. So if you guys are hearing the terrible audio quality, it's because I'm recording from my childhood, semi childhood bedroom, bedroom. I moved into this bedroom when I was 11. It's going well. It's nice to be back in England. It's nice to be around family. It's just, it's funny how you get so used to living alone in your own quiet and then you go back into the mania that is your family home (laughs) and you're just like, oh yes, I used to be so tolerant of noise before. (laughs) Um, But no, it's been great. I'm here with my husband and we're both like, we're going out for walks and like London, no matter where you are in London, it's it's pretty green. It's a very walkable sea, which is why it's because it's an old sea, you know. So it's been nice just like walking around and getting my old little baked goods and, you know, just chilling in my little grey shithole of a hometown. I love it. Um, <laughs> no, it's been great. I'm still working, so I haven't been able to completely enjoy it, but it's still good to be back. Yeah. yeah. Good to see loved ones and Indeed. everything like that. And also somewhat fitting, uh, given what you're talking about this week, setting-wise. But yeah, w- what are you talking about? What, are, what did you watch this week, Colin? So yeah, one of the perks of being in England is that I can now watch Channel 4 online because it's free. You can watch all Channel 4 programming on, on their streaming service, uh, but you have to be in England, mm. right? Uh, so what I was able to watch in its entirety this week was uh, the... A half an hour not even half an hour like what is it like 20 anywhere minutes, between, yeah yeah 24 minute comedy series called we are lady parts and for all the, our american listeners which i think is most of you guys you can actually find this on peacock uh, i know that we joked about the free trial and committing to it but there's actually quite a lot that you can watch on peacock now like you don't have to just go there for girls five ever you can also go there for we are lady parts i think it's mm-hmm. totally worth it yeah so if you don't know what we are lady parts is about uh, it is written and created by Nida Manzoor, and it follows a timid micro- a PhD microbiologist, uh, Amina, who is played by Anjani Vasan, as she struggles between her want to conform and hide, and then her need to dissent and shine, basically. That's a very general overview of it. <laughs> but to go a little bit more into detail, it's narrated by Amina, which is it makes it very easy to follow in that very short space of time. This is only a six- 
six episode series so it's you can crush this in like not even a couple of hours um we see her stumble into an all-girl all-muslim punk band called lady parts and it consists of lead singer Syra, who's played by sarah camila impi bassist and also co-vocalist bisma who is played by Faith Omole, drummer Aisha, played by Juliet Motamed, and Momtaz, who's played by Lucy Shawhouse, who is the band's manager. So this is, I honestly didn't even know this thing existed until I started seeing loads of American writers and culture writers write about it. Mm -hmm. Had you heard anything about it before I kind of gave you the heads up about it? Yeah, I also started seeing a couple of like critics I follow basically rave about this but i had not you know heard anything about this like i don't even know how long ago has it been available like in the uk before like it hopped onto peacock yeah so this the pilot of this aired back in 2018 as on channel 4 as well as a part of the comedy blap which is it's a random name but it's basically the new talent initiative from channel 4 that basically mm. It supports fresh talent in British comedy. And Chewing Gum was also a comedy black. Oh, okay. Right, so it, they developed that. That was released and then she kind of went away to write the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And they have just started airing it. I think it started airing sometime in late May or early June. And it's going to air up until June 24th here on Channel 4. But they do have it in its entirety on the streaming because I've watched all of it. Mm. Um, so... That had happened. I don't know if, uh, like, I know that a couple of writers on The Guardian and everything, like, they had written something about it, but it, did, it didn't really reach, you know, huge heights of, of hype, much like Chewing Gum did or much like uh, Fleabag did, for example. Mm -hmm. So now that we have the series in its entirety, I think people can really kind of take a step back and see if they like it. And, you know, the feedback has been pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of, like, what to expect... It's definitely a comedy. Mm -hmm. It is there is music in this. You know, I said bands are back. Like it does have a lot of very many excellent music. Uh, some are covers, some are originals that were actually co-written. Like the songs were co-written by Manzor and her siblings Shez and Sanya. Oh. Um, my personal favorite is Bashir with a good beard, that, yeah, which comes sometime good. in. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> um, and stylistically, it's very bright and bombastic you know the the there are the songs that especially amina um performs on the show separate from the band they are set pieces basically there's a lot of puppetry there's a lot of animation a lot of costume and set design they're all used very liberally mm -hmm. to basically put you in a fantastic mood <laughs> but it, it also it isn't too saccharine i mean it is saccharine but it's not in a way that feels too much because it is a british show after all and so you're gonna get brutal dry wit like everyone's being really harsh everyone's being really real with each other mm -hmm. so it kind of like it gives it a little bit of bitterness to kind of bring down those sugar levels what did you what how where are you have you finished it yeah, I watched it all over the past couple of days, I think. Uh, like you said, it's it's a very short uh, season or, or series so far. Uh, yeah, at first I thought maybe through episode one, I was like still not entirely convinced because the tone of the show, you know, especially with Amina, it is so, how would you say, like out there or like exaggerated in some way. Like they do have, you know, these asides, the, you know, all these little flares that, can make it more exciting, but also I was like, this is a little goofy. But, you know, the more I watched it, the more I really grew 
to love the show's wit, the characters, what they're trying to say, how they interact with each other. And yeah, by the end of it, I can say right now, like, I think it's it's really great. And I think more people should watch it. Yeah, I mean, what you say about especially Amina is very true. Like, every (laughs) single person... Well, yeah, almost every single person in this show plays a caricature of themselves. So she's timid and she's, like, annoyingly timid Mm -hmm. and annoyingly, like, thinks she's a loser. It's it's almost they're meant to be adults, but they give adolescent energy in the way that they are, like every single one of them. But it works because I think, like, there, there is something very endearing about every single character as well. So, you know, if you liked Lovesick, if you liked Sex Education, I think this is right up your alley. Like, it is lighthearted in a way that doesn't take itself too seriously, which is why I love it, too. Um, yeah, it's not a depressing watch, um, although they definitely have, like, the, like, plot-wise, the, the lows that they're going for. But ultimately, you know, it is somewhat affirming. Yeah, and I will say, like, I... I mean, all these characters, I think, are great. Even Amina, I kind of warmed to her later. Um, but Syra and, like, Sarah, Camila, Impy's performance is just, like, wow. I was, like, wowed and, like, taken aback by, by how good she is in this role. I have a huge crush on her, dude. Same, yeah. And, like, they're all so beautiful, but I think Syra is just, like, she's so, she's right up my alley, mate. So I was just like, oh, <laughs> beautiful. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, to kind of take it, just immediately take it there. <laughs> um, this is a show about Muslims. This is a show about Muslim women. Mm-hmm. Muslim representation on TV has always been stereotypical. And if not that, then it's corny. And usually it's both. Um, you know, if they're not uh, terrorists, then they're using their faith as the butt of the joke. That's kind of like the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, not just Muslims. I think, you know, speaking more broadly, like Middle East and North African representation in the US is on par or slightly above that of Native American representation, which is to say it's like somewhere lost. And I think, you know, you can tell the show's creator, Nita Manzor, she's made uh, an effort to circumvent these stereotypes. Like, to give examples, it's not Amina's parents that have pressured her into finding a husband. Mm-hmm. It's herself. Um, and it's also her best friend, Noor, and her little, like, clique that she has at university. But, yeah, I mean, my, my one of my favorite things about Amina is that she's just, like, horny. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, she, it, it's partly that she wants to conform to this um, ideal Muslim wife that is the achievement amongst her friends at university but then it's also the fact that she's just fucking horny and that's like i don't know anything more true than that straight up um yeah i think like in terms of um accuracy levels the way that she is with Nora and her friends at at uni and it's funny because it's set in queen mary Mm -hmm. queen mary there's like it's a very very black and brown university there's a lot of muslims at queen mary so i love that it was set there (laughs) that the accuracy of that friend group you know, sometimes it is friend on friend pressure to be a certain way. And this isn't just for Muslim girls. This is for basically any woman that has a bunch of friends that she kind of stayed with and didn't question why she's staying with them. Um, when you look at the, the, the other members of the punk band, they each, each of them kind of provide a certain faction of non sorry, non-conformist Muslim girl. Uh, and again, there's a lot of thought put into that. So Syra is, she's a tomboy with like intimacy issues. Bisma is a mother and a wife, and she also has a love for menstruation, gore, graphic novels. Aisha is queer. We find out later that she's queer. Even though she talks like a fucking geezer, <laughs> she, uh, 
She makes it a point to wear her traditional Iraqi attire, which is the Hashimi dress. Um, and then Montaz, the band manager, she wears a niqab and a burqa, but she also gets high. Like, she has a vape pen that she's constantly toking on, and she works at a lingerie shop. And, like, her mother knows that she smokes, you know? The, the, the different facets that you can provide, the different ways that it's kind of challenging these stereotypes. Again, there's a lot of thought put into it, and um, I appreciate it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. What did you think about um, each of the characters, and do you happen to have a favorite, apart from, obviously, Sarah, because she's hot? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like all of them, really. I, I think Mumtaz is, like, kind of interesting, um, just, like, how much she tries. She's, like, the constant hustle, and she wants to, her ambition is to, like, be the boss, like, the, the boss lady. But yeah, I I like them all, man. I don't know. Who's your favorite? Yeah. Um, I think I really like Bisma because she's like, you can tell that she finds it very important. Like her daughter, her relationship with her daughter is really cute. Mm-hmm. They don't really get into it too much, but what a fantastic kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that she has like her husband in line is also really great. And he's also really cute as well. And he's like a poet. He does spoken word. <laughs> but yeah, I... I my favorite thing about all of them is that they're not ashamed of their religion. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't give anything up. Like there's no compromise here with their faith. I really appreciated that they have such an affection for one another. I love any show about sisterhood and mm-hmm. female friends. Um, and you know, this show has both like the toxic female friendship and then also the very freeing female mm-hmm. friendship and like Amina trying to kind of see which one is right for her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is all pretty standard. You know, you get into a room, you talk about what you hate about representation for your faith or your ethnicity, and then you do the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And it seems easy, and it seems, like, in some sense it is corny. It is, like, expected that it is, like, oh, we are moving past the grain. And it's, you know, it doesn't seem that clever at first. But then the more you watch it, the more you realize that, oh, there is some semblance of cleverness that is put into that. And that's what kind of made me appreciate it quite a lot and one of them is the way that i think manzor expresses how muslim women have always been policed constantly i guess this is all around the world right so if this if they're not being policed by the men in their own country or the men of their own faith they're getting it from white people i feel like the most perfect example of it is in france right in france they are policing muslim women constantly by how they're dressing like headscarves and the way that that is addressed is once they agree to do an interview and it is released out into the world, they get hate from both ends. They get it from mm-hmm. Muslims and then they get it from non-Muslims as well. And what's interesting about that is that Manzo went through something like that herself. When the pilot for We Are Lady... Sorry, it was then called Lady Parts, but when the pilot came out for this show uh, three years ago, she was met with vitriol from basically both sides it, it, you know it really be your own people sometimes <laughs> and i think she got that she got that and then she also got it from the fucking edl wankers mm-hmm. in in the uk as well and it out of all the comedy baps hers is actually the only one where the comment uh, the comments are disabled and she oh, wow. left yeah she left social media and you know again it's irritating when you get it from your own that's one thing it, and this is expressed on the show like nor plays that part of it nor is Amina's best friend who finds out. I mean, I guess this is a spoiler, but she finds out that Amina is in this punk band because Amina's been hiding it from her. 
And then she turns it into like a, oh my God, I need to save you. Like, let's get you back on the track of being a good Muslim woman. And that is, you know, that's one part of it. And that's always very, very disappointing. But I guess the biggest frustration is seeing yourself through that white gaze. Because when it's your own, it's usually the male gaze. So it's just, it's interesting how Manzoor kind of addressed that with the rest of the season. Because she went through it herself. And I think Roxana Haddadi uh, wrote a piece in Slate about it, kind of talking about that. Um you know, post 9-11, this is kind of some, like, Islamophobia is so normalized at this point. So it's interesting to see Manzoor address that in this show in a very clear way, because these girls are in a punk band. Punk is already kind of looked down upon in every single culture, I feel. So it's kind of seeing how they grapple with it and seeing them go through that, especially Syra. That there's a certain scene that really affected me quite a bit. But Jenny, have you seen a film called Hala by Minal Baig? Uh, no. Um, so Hala is a film by a first... Well, I think it was her second film, actually. She grew up in Chicago. She's a Muslim woman. She made a film about an adolescent Muslim girl that is kind of grappling with her religion and what that means. And before I'd seen it, the shit that she got from a lot of, you know, Muslim culture critics um, and a lot of people that are, I guess, Twitter famous and journalists or whatever, it made me feel like, oh, and I watched the trailer and the trailer kind of gives you a certain impression. I remember thinking like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this because half the time you don't know if any of these things are made for white people or if they're made for other Muslims. Um, But I ended up watching the film and it wasn't even that bad, which kind of made me think a lot about how American or British or European Muslim creators, the amount of work, the amount of critique that they get is very telling in and of itself. Um, We rarely, like Muslims rarely get the opportunity to make art. So when it's finally greenlit, we want it to be perfect and we want it to be applicable to everyone. And that is just simply impossible. We also don't know what goes on on the network side of things, like what studio notes are happening, what executive producer notes are happening. And how much of that is at the behest of the creator's vision or how much of that is in collaboration with. We don't know these things, right? And so people assume, and it just I just think it's very, very unfair to expect creators to make everything. Like Rami uh, by Rami Youssef is on Hulu. I think it's great. It's one of those um, shows that is trying to do, I think, a lot of what Manzur is trying to do, which is work against what this representation of Muslims on TV looks like. And even he got some critique because of uh, his sister's character, Dina. Some of this critique is fair. You know, we critique the people that we love because we want them to be better and I think it should be listened to. But I also think that there's no way that you can make everything applicable to everyone. Yeah, there are very few, like, truly universal experiences. Yeah, and, you know, when I watched uh, Dina's episode in the first season... There was a part of me that was like, all right, we've this is like level one. We need to we need to be at level three because Rami's character is at level three or four of like what it means to be him, right, as a character himself. And I think Dina felt did feel a little bit one note, but it was true that a lot of Muslim girls have held at a double standard than their brothers. And I like to see that. And it was funny to see that with Dina's episode, because that's kind of what it was about. But I think you know, watching We Are Lady Parts, having Rami, watching Hala, you you ask yourself the question, you know, at what point does capital R representation stop being the narrative drive 
and merely just context that is given like any other character that is maybe not Muslim, right? And we'll only know that if we're given room to explore more and create more TV shows, art, film. Um, and that's kind of like, that's kind of the station that I arrived at and decided to get off of, you know? A, we can't be universal. B, I do agree that sometimes you can't just rely on someone's faith to be their be all and end all, you know, their conflict. Um, it yeah, doesn't work like yeah. that. Like at, at the end of the day, people want to see truly fleshed out characters and stories that indicate that thought and care has been put into them. And so whether it's like stereotypical because of one reason, one way, or because it's like a reaction to those kinds of stereotypes, it's the critique lies in that it's like, just like not fully fleshed out enough, like as real walking, breathing human beings that we see. on Yeah. Screens. And this is one of my favorite things about um, Amina was the fact that a, she's horny and B she's a huge romantic and there is a romance plotline going through this with Asan, who is Aisha's brother. I love this. I love this rom-com setup of like, we start dating, we agree to be friends. And then actually, is that all we are? You know, like that. Oh, I love it so much. And um, Asan, who's played by uh, Zaki Ismail, who he's so hot. <laughs> I think it's just it, it, the way that they utilize him and the way that they like kind of employ the female gaze on him is so good um but yeah i like that is so good like i love that about amina i love that she is all of these things i will say i think the cleverest part of this entire show is the character of zarina she is the influencer slash hack journalist who writes the article for you know a publication that's basically a version of vice (laughs) um it's that article that kind of sets off the feedback that they get what did you think about her because the second the second she's introduced i was like oh here we go like yeah me too i mean anytime you have an influencer really that so far that what we've seen like depicted on screen that's never gonna be a good thing going on it's never gonna be a good thing yeah and the way that she's introduced is like she's kind of talking about being a woman of color and how that she's just trying to like, I love that. I love that Manzur is like, fuck these women that keep using being a woman of color as like the be all end all of who they are and how interesting they are. It's so good. But, you know, the way that she uses that identity of herself to kind of elevate her voice and her influence mm-hmm. and then in turn weaponizes it against the band is genius. Yeah. Because there really are frauds like that out there. 100%. Like I know people like that. You know, we all know people like that. There are times that like my favorite joke when we know these people is like, oh maybe they should bring gatekeeping back because <laughs> I don't understand what these frauds are doing. And she's one of those frauds. And I think the way that she fleshed out that character and the way that she ended up oh just a very great villain. Like very, very good villain for them. Yeah. And all, again, like, uh, ethics in journalism, you cannot date a source, like, a, a subject that you're writing about and, like, just, like, have that tension between those that, like, ethically just, like, not exist. That is, um, this is a, a journalism lesson. It's a journalism lesson for sure. And the way that she's, because uh, we won't say who she ends up dating, but the fact that she says to the person, you know, she she could have 
outed someone, but she decided not to, as if she's doing them a favor. And it's like, oh my god, this woman is in like she's just she's just a delicious villain. I hate her so much. Um, <laughs> I'm really happy that this show is getting so much hype now, especially stateside, because that unfortunately that is more important to British showrunners or British studios um, than British hype. So I'm really glad that it's getting this much hype because I I really hope that this goes to a second season. So please watch this on Peacock if you can, if you're in the UK or if you can get the VPN and watch it through Channel 4, go for it, mate. Uh, shout out to all my baby rock Muslim girl punks. Shout out to all the girls, all the little girls that get to watch this. I never had this. So it's really happy. To, I'm really happy that, you know, our youngins do. So that's me. And what is your pick this week, Jenny? So this week, I, along with a lot of other people, um, including you, Helen, I watched uh, Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix. So this is his fourth comedy special, if you can call it that. It was written, directed, filmed, edited, all done by Bo Burnham inside a single room during the course of the pandemic with no crew, no like live audience in front of him. All just like this hugely impressive solo endeavor throughout this really fucked up period in uh, a lot of people's lives last year. <laughs> so this is interesting. I, I, the reason I said it, it's may or may not be a comedy special is because it's not what you expect when you hear the words comedy special. For that, it's like you expect to see kind of like spliced together clips of live performances on stage, maybe with some nice editing. But here, like a lot of Bo Burnham's videos that kind of shot him to fame on YouTube about 15 years ago, it's mostly like musical numbers that he writes, um, he composes, he writes the lyrics for, and they are, the lyrics are very important because that is where the comedy comes from, in addition to like some of the visual gags, like the audio gags, stuff like that. And then in addition to like the songs, there are just like a lot of some like monologue sketches, asides, like a very meta kind of shots and scenes that show the act of self-producing something like this. So it's about an hour and a half long and it is incredibly impressive just like for m many reasons, but just like most baseline, like how much work all this took for him as like one single person. Yeah, yeah I... I I've got to confess, I did not know who Bo Burnham was until I watched 8th grade. Oh, 8th grade, okay. There you yeah, go. I, until I watched 8th grade, because I think, I just knew that he wrote that film. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about him. Like, my husband had to kind of explain who he was, and I was just like, oh, I don't really care for that, but this guy seems pretty talented. Mm -hmm. um, and then he was so good in Promising Young Women as well. I yes. thought he had loads of charisma. But this... I, we just straight we just put it on on a Sunday afternoon because we were just like fuck it like it can just be on in the background and we stopped what we were doing it, it was not a background watch it very quickly did not become a background watch all the songs are so catchy I just I just had a really really fun time yeah it's interesting because like I I did watch I watched this twice actually <laughs> like this the second time sort of in preparation for this and it's I wouldn't call it funny for me per se in terms of like comedy like laugh out loud funny but it's like the opinions and thoughts that are explored here are also not the most like novel for i guess like if you're a certain online kind of person who is probably like leftist you spend a lot of time on twitter but the way that bo burnham expresses these thoughts like 
puts music and sort of like the the lyrical poetry and like the set pieces to them it's like genuinely interesting and often surprising um that is where i found the strength of this coming through and like how he does express these thoughts quite eloquently and just like in the wildest kind of like presentation of them which is like very very meta at times um often like cynical often you know he you see him veer into like darker moments of like mental health and like suicide and um or just the format that he plays with them like i really loved when he did stuff like playing off of youtube formats like the reaction video and this really can only come from someone who truly understands the internet as he obviously does since he's been basically his whole career his life has been on the internet since the age of i think like 16 um and he's 30 now as he mentions in one of his numbers like he he just turned 30 last year which is fucking mind-boggling considering everything this guy's done and i want to provide a little bit of context behind this so bo burnham um as he says himself in one of his songs he stopped performing live in front of audiences five years ago because he started having panic attacks on stage and then he confesses like he was ready to start performing again right when the pandemic hit and he doesn't use the word pandemic at all in this entire special, which is another choice. Um, but yeah, so he has this like sort of anxious relationship between him and performances, him and his audience. In his last special in 2016 for Netflix, he also like confessed in live on stage to his audience that he both loves and hates them. He needs them and fears them. And I think a lot of that continues to come through in this. Like there are so many themes expressed in this special, it's kind of hard to list them all. But I think my favorites have to do more with like the internet, digital life, the emptiness of social media, the self-awareness or like meta self-awareness that is kind of like the default tone of how so many people like use social media. And then a lot of this stuff with like mental health and isolation and, and loneliness. Um, but he also kind of, and I didn't really like know Bo Burnham's politics or whatever before this because I didn't like regularly watch his videos or anything but there is like actually surprisingly like quite a bit of stuff about like capitalism class struggle like white male privilege all this kind of stuff so yeah what what were your favorites kind of like thematically Pellin? Well the, the musical format of it honestly like th this is something I don't know if this is just something that has been built into us now as human beings that have had art to consume for like however many hundreds of years but there's a reason why like the variety show back in the day was so important mm -hmm. like sometimes you just need to song and dance it out you know like yeah. no, whatever the message that you're saying sometimes delivering it through the medium of song can really do it for you and I'm saying this as someone that does not like musicals. I don't like <laughs> musical numbers, um, you know, through film or watching it through a screen. I don't really enjoy it that much. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed this so much because it used the comedy of the song performance or like the corniness of the song performance as an asset to deliver whatever message that it was trying to deliver, mm -hmm. whether it was something that was like self-aware. But I completely agree with you with regards to like the way that he approached digital authenticity mm -hmm. and that kind of like that self-awareness or that understanding of the internet um, and what it's doing to our brains. Yeah. It's just, he depicted it perfectly. Like, it, and to do that just by himself, and don't get me wrong, you can tell that he's using a lot of expensive equipment to get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, 
bless him, he was probably fiddling around like a fucking maniac for months yeah, and months yeah. and months yes. with with that equipment. But he did it, man. Like, and it looks really impressive. It looks fantastic. Yeah, like, and th- this is, a, you know, you'd think that this could be made in a couple months, but obviously he worked on this for an entire year, mm-hmm. and. Part of that is probably like the songwriting that probably takes a long time, but I'm pretty sure a lot of it has to do with the te- the technicality of it all. Yeah, I I wanted to ask you as like a someone who's actually more familiar with like how technical side works, how it goes to like produce something or something like this. Like how how hard would all of this have been? Because it all looks incredibly hard. Just to be clear, like you see the amount of work that he puts into it in some scenes. Yeah, I mean, depending on the budget that he has, it's not as hard if you have the equipment. And if he's got that Netflix budget, this is probably a very cheap endeavor for Netflix to do. Considering like no crew at all. No crew, like it's just equipment money and it's just editing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I genuinely, you just have to be very patient. Mm-hmm. it's not even that it's hard it's not that hard you just have to there are a mi- and he's a youtube guy there are a million and one tutorials on youtube on how to make any single one of the things that he made on this show but you just really have, you just really have to sit down and do it and that takes a so much time and b so much patience because you will fuck it up constantly mm-hmm. um so you know, shout out to his, um, he had nothing but patience. He was stuck in the house. You know, we talk so much about how frustrating pandemic era art has been because it just seems so uninspiring. Um, this works out great because it is using the biggest restriction as a way to then explore other forms of filmmaking or other forms of yeah, this isn't a film, but yeah, I I don't know. I it's kind of feel kind like of, it is a yeah, film. Kind of a kind of, kind of a film, I would say. It, yeah. I would say it's a film for sure. It's yeah. a nonfiction. Um, so I, it's just this is this is how you do it. This is the shit that we've all been thinking about all year. Everybody's just like doom scrolling, doom scrolling through Twitter, doom scrolling through YouTube. Like everyone has been very, very, very online this last year. So the way that he kind of uses that to as inspiration for his songs, as inspiration for his messaging or whatever it is, it is that he's trying to do, you know, or express that he's like a thoughtful creator. He is a thoughtful creator. Like, I now think that he's a very thoughtful creator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does next. And I know that that's tough on him as someone that struggles with this. But he expresses that and I appreciate his honesty. I appreciate his creativity and his patience with making something like this. I really enjoyed it, man. Yeah. Like I really had such a good time. Like I had, I was in a good mood, but it wasn't like I didn't feel better about the world necessarily. No, because he is like quite cynical about a lot of the things of, you know, how the world works, he, you know, as one of his songs is called. But yeah, you really do have to appreciate his thoughts here, like how he... He, like, patiently filmed and edited all of this. And also, like, how catchy so much of his songs are. Like, he has a talent. He has so many talents. This dude is, like, the definition of, like, a multi-hyphenate. Which is frustrating, I guess, if, like, you're comparing yourself to him. But um, there's no denying. Like, some people, they have the talent, whatever it is. So I want to, like, go through some of the songs with you. Since there are, like, quite a few numbers oh that's Um, so good i can't wait to like i I think i might i might have tweeted right afterwards that like whatever olivia rodrigo album did for everybody else this uh (laughs) this discography for this is doing it for me mate yeah so i i want to start with 
Healing the World with Comedy, which is, I think it's the second number in this whole uh, special. It kind of is the one that made me sit up a little bit more in here and like see like, oh, this is the kind of guy he is. That's interesting. So this is like the the ballad that turns into kind of like a synthy power pop, satirizing like, I guess, what the idea of comedy is and like how useful it actually is in the real world, how helpful it can be. And the, yeah, like when he has lines like, the world is fucked up and there's only one thing I can do about it while being paid and being the center of attention. That is where I was like, oh, okay, I see where his humor is now. Like, I see the kind of person and like internet user he would be essentially. Yeah, exactly. I really loved um, Problematic. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the lyrics are great, don't get me wrong, but the tune itself is a banger. Yeah, this like 80s style kind of like aerobics kind of like workout song um, that's very catchy. Very ca- very sexy too. If I'm thinking of the right one, it's the one where he's like glistening and yeah, yes. oh, he looks Sweating. he looks great. Um, <laughs> I, I really also loved Welcome to the Internet. Oh yeah, I was definitely gonna highlight that as well. It's this kind of like creepy but like upbeat like Carnival Showman's tune and the lyrics when you listen to it and kind of like the, the urgency and like manic energy as he plays this is like really like perfectly suitable for what he's talking about which is this seductive like dark twisted lore of the internet and like it's endless content and how like malevolent it is and how it ruins lives (laughs) and one of the key lines from it is like could i interest you in everything all the time and it was always the plan to put the world in your hand which those are very accurate very descriptive there's a there's a really funny line that he says to gen z that i've completely forgotten but i remember being like oh my god he's so right it really will like their brains really are going to be broken in a way that is different um yeah our brains are only half only half because we still have the first 15 years of our lives so like (laughs) you know the the very important very formative first 15 years and then we're going to spend the rest of it ruining but yeah they're they're fucked from the start um I think what's interesting about watching him through this creative project is how he gets to the point towards the end where he's like, you know, I I don't know when to stop working on this. I don't know if I'll ever stop working on it, which is very uh, true to anybody that has ever tried to create something just by themselves, like whether that's writing or, or something else. But it's funny how you can't tell, and he expresses this, that you don't know whether this is like um, a coping mechanism for him through the pandemic or through isolation or whether this is actually something that he believes in. It's interesting. It's cool. Like, I think that is universal. You don't know when to put the pen yeah. down. You don't know when to close the laptop or you don't know if it's even any good. Like, because you, you've been in it for so long that you have no idea what the fuck it's like. But I don't know, man. I'm pleased to say that I really enjoyed it. So it wasn't it wasn't completely it's a waste. Yeah. This is like what people I guess like were joking about where it's like, you know, nobody's gonna write the next King Lear while they're in isolation. And like Bo Burnham went and did something exactly like that. He didn't like pen Shakespeare stuff, but he really he put together a very impressive I guess you could call it yeah, like a musical film that documents so many feelings that particular sensation of last year like being in this locked in a single room but also like things beyond that like everything he's experienced as like a creator as someone online as someone with mental health issues as someone who struggles i guess like with his own place in the world which is awful as he like points out in several songs yeah it's it's really it makes me take notice of Bo Burnham in a way that i hadn't before i kind of like knew his name i guess before 
eighth grade. Like, I remember there was that, like, hubbub maybe 10 years ago or something where a college he was going to speak at or perform it or something. They, um, some students boycotted him because he had some quote unquote, like, problematic material in the past, like, where they said, like, he used, I don't know, the way he talked about, like, gay people or, like, different racial issues or something. They, they said it, you know, people took issue with that. And I, to be like clear, I haven't watched those videos that people took issue with. Like, I don't really have the knowledge of his, his past or like, but he like acknowledges himself, like in that song problematic, he was like, I'm still kind of waiting. Isn't anybody going to hold me accountable? And this is like part satire again, but also it's part like he has this part where he talks about how when he was 17, he dressed up as Aladdin and he was like, I didn't do brown face, but you know, it still felt kind of weird. And then he, the next verse, he goes on to be like, Actually, let me talk about the previous verse again. I just tried to hide behind my childhood, and that's not okay. My actions are my own, and I won't explain them away. So again, it's just like different levels of self-awareness that is very interesting how he's playing with that. And like, again, you have to like think about like, okay, but by saying this, is this is just like a whole nother level of self-awareness, right? And he says himself earlier on, like he's like, self-awareness is not like, absolving anyone of every anything so he has like this very interesting like he knows how this works he knows how it all works and how to work the, the different like levers of this you could take a good faith reading of this you could take a bad faith reading of this you could say he's just exploiting this and because he knows how to work the game but i don't know i guess like in if he is as as thoughtful as like you know we would like to believe from this i think that he is really just like doing all he can at this moment to like both admit his culpability but also be like you know, I know that just like being aware of this and saying this out loud doesn't change things, but I'm going to try to show another way. And it's like what we've talked about previously, right? This one person is not responsible for systemic problems that result in them saying these things back when they were whatever years old. Yeah, we have to be aware of it. And yeah, we have to think of these like power dynamics at play. But he says it, he admits it, he apologizes for it. He's self-aware about it. People are still mad. And then what? Like, what do you do? What What's next? For that, I do, it's exactly like you said. Though I am very interested in what who he is now. Like I think I like him as a creator. I like that he really drills down on what it means to create in this era of internet mm -hmm. fuckery. I really appreciate that he really gets into the audience versus the creator and what that relationship looks like. I think that's a problem that has existed like, forever. And I think now we are... Codependent, yeah. like parasitic relationship. Yeah, like it's not as glamorous as you might think it is. Like, it's cool to see someone talk about this. It's cool to see someone that grew up on the internet that got famous because of the internet talk about this. I think he has a unique position to, to be able to talk about this. So I'm, I'm all this. Like, he does it with a song he does it with creative visuals did it all himself that's nuts so good for him man yeah he can he can write he can compose he can direct he can act he can sing he can dance kind of um i don't know this dude is he's got some gifts. he uh he's been getting a lot of thirst <laughs> recently what do you think about this are you do you think uh, bo burnham oh, is hot yeah. or no so what yeah what is interesting is that people have been saying like online they're like you know, I never thought Bo Burnham was hot until I saw him with, like, a full-on Jesus, like, beard and hair and, like, slowly having a, a, a meltdown on screen. I thought he was, like, handsome, I guess, and promising young woman, like, as he was cast to be, like, that perfectly fit his character. I, I am not personally very into, like, you know, the, the pandemic sort of, like, uh, beard 
hair situation, but I I understand where people are coming from. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's it's not for me. I think like one thing that we've all discovered with a lot of cis men over the pandemic, they have great. They most of them have great heads of hair. Um, and all they need to do is just find that nice little balance in between where they were pre-pandemic and where they are now because of their long hair and just getting that nice little like that medium length hair, which I think suits a lot of them. Um, yeah, I think Bo Burnham is one of them. I think his his he has great hair in this. Like it, it looks fantastic. But not for me. Yeah. Not for me, but I get it, you know? <laughs> and just a bit of trivia, since I, I read his Wikipedia page, that was my due diligence. He has been in a long-term relationship with Lorraine Scafaria for like eight years so she is like the she she directed hustlers and a lot of other things um cool so yeah their photos were bo burnham just like towers over her in height yeah he's a tall boy eh he's a tall boy but yeah interesting the more you know the more you know good for them man good for them so that's what we've been watching and this week for culture notes we are going to talk about a tweet that had us very entertained and the tweet is by uh, nina serafina on twitter and they tweeted who is a character that had roughly 15 minutes or less in a film but had a huge impact on it and the quote tweets uh were nuts and we had some real bangers but I will direct this question to you, Jenny. Do you have any picks or anyone? I will say, as an aside, a lot of people on Twitter did not understand the assignment of this question. I think the 15 minutes or less is, is the key part of this. So who have you got? So we, admittedly, we did comb through some of these responses because it's actually fucking hard to think of uh, a lot of these answers, just like off the top of your head. But some ones that we course we loved parasite gotta shout out the guy in the basement yeah man that is true impact yes um for not a lot of facetime so king of act three Uh. literally reign supreme (laughs) (laughs) yes um there were a lot of animated films that kind of made it onto this which i guess makes sense like you can kind of like go go wild where you want with a lot of like animation um but like the squirrel in ice age the gingerbread man in Shrek. Oh my god, an icon. Um, yes, true. queer icon, I would uh, say, actually. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that part of culture, but happy pride. Um, let's see, there's like the big brother in Big Hero 6. Just a lot of people. Who else am I missing? We have Lil Rel Howery in Get Out. I think is extremely incremental. Uh, I think one of the most like serious answers is probably Mahershala Ali's character in Moonlight. I mean, that was a star-making performance. Everybody now knows he's A-list because of that performance and wasn't in that film for very long, which is a crime, but also we get it. It's a perfect film. I'm not going to question that. Um, <laughs> I can't remember how long she was in The Matrix for, but I'm pretty sure she is under 15 minutes, and that is Gloria Foster, who plays the Oracle literally running the entire show (laughs) based on whatever she says Um, and then we've got the more uh, non-human people which is the puppy in John Wick of course Um, and no one wrote this this was my idea but I think mushrooms in general in Phantom Thread are very very important uh, to sure, that like film. loose interpretation of the word character but you know we'll we'll allow it <laughs> no but we we love this we love this tweet because i think it just shows you how important some characters are they don't have to be the protagonist but the way that they are catalysts and the way that they move the film along 
it's fun. It's fun to think about these characters because you forget how important they are until someone says like, oh, fuck, if they didn't exist, then this entire film would be moot. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I had re- I had a lot of fun uh, with this tweet. Thank you for asking the question, Nina Serafina, on Twitter. <laughs> how, much, how much clout did she get from this? Oh, my God, like okay. 400 and something quote tweets, I think, right? Jesus. Yeah, maybe more. I don't know. And if you guys have any ideas, if you guys have any uh, suggestions for this tweet, please let us know. We would love to hear them. We will retweet. Yeah, what a fun time. All right, so that's us for this week. If you are watching anything that we you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. That's all one word. For extended show notes, including links to everything we've been talking about and then some, please subscribe to criticismisdead at sub, dot, substack.com. Sorry. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe tell a friend about us. Uh, thank you for your patience with this audio quality. We will return to it once I'm back in New York, but we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lou and Jenny Shijal. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lou.